Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Here we are virtually at Sundance 2022. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief of FilmsGoneWild.com. Here with the Bitch Talk podcast team of Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. And on this segment, we're going to talk about the documentary Fire of Love. We've got with us Sarah Dosa. She's the director of the film. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. All right, Sarah. So you start us off. People haven't seen the film yet. They're listening to this interview, watching this interview. Tell us what Fire of Love is about. Um, Fire of Love is an unexpected love story between a married pair of volcanologists, Katya and Maurice Kraft, and their third love, Volcanoes. So the film kind of charts their their story over the course of time. Um, They met in the late 60s as students of geology in France. Um, They were actually born just 20 kilometers apart. Um, and then they, they fell in love with kind of the thrill of the fire, so to speak, and ended up picking up cameras and running around the world, getting as, as close to volcanoes as possible. Um, not just because of the thrill of risk, but also this uh, attempt to deeply understand um, volcanoes and how the earth moves. Um, and tragically, their lives are, are taken in the end. But um, uh, in their death, uh, we like to think that that kind of, kind of pulls into focus what it really means to live a meaningful life. So that's, that's kind of the, the core, the, the beating heart of our film is, is about living with passion and, and meaning. Um, so yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell, fire of love. Sarah, um, I love the kitschiness feel and look to this film, which includes the music too. Can you talk about the choices? Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun with that. Um, Maurice and Katya, uh, they left behind this profound legacy uh, footage, um, about 200 hours or so of 16 millimeter footage. They also were celebrities in um, the 70s and 80s and and just before their death in 1991. And so there is a ton of uh, interviews and archival material of them too. And um, as we watched the footage that they shot as well as footage shot of them, we really kind of got a sense of their own characters, um, their own uh, personalities. They're they're super playful people. they banter with each other and, and I feel like their personalities really come across. And that was kind of an initial guide uh, as was kind of some aesthetics from French new wave, which formed the cultural landscape um, when Maurice and Katia were coming of age in the late sixties and early seventies in France. And you see that show up in their own work. Um, for example, their cinematography had a lot of like fun zooms and pans and uh, there's a lot of levity and humor in just like the imagery itself that they recorded the way that they write. Um, so they authored 19 books and a lot of them had a diaristic first person uh, voice to them. And it kind of reminded me of some of the bombastic uh, narration of a Godard or, or Agnes Varda or Truffaut film. And so um, it was that kind of playfulness or kitschiness that we thought would really kind of fit their spirit as well as the time period. Um, and since there were a lot of gaps in, in the archive. Um, there was a lot of holes in the story, things that we couldn't confirm or conflicting stories. We realized we needed some sort of interpretive framework to, to make the story come together. And so uh, 
uh, we kind of leaned into music to help us, uh, you know, convey some emotions. Um, we worked with a fantastic animator named Lucy Munger, who um, kind of lent us that, that paper cutout feel that, that kind of stitches together some of the film too. Um, as well as we, we wrote narration that was voiced by one of my artistic heroes, <laughs> Miranda July um, uh, also. And, and I think we wanted all of that to kind of feel um, like distinct elements, but also forming this kind of collage uh, that um, is kind of the ultimate form of the film. I do love that um, you are, are explaining to us in audience how volcanoes work. And I, I love that you did it simple, simplistically enough for me to understand who was never good at science, always loved it, but never good at it. So I'm curious uh, how, how much how many scientists did you have to work with? How much science did you already know? Um, and, and are you more so interested in it now after having worked in this film? Yeah. Oh, those are great questions. Um, luckily, Maurice and Katya were excellent at communicating um, the science of volcanoes quite simply themselves. They they authored a number of publications that are replete with like very technical language, which were very hard for us to absorb. Um, but, um, but their own writing actually makes um, volcanoes seem almost, I mean, it does make them seem appropriate. And it literally was from recent Katya, of course. So they, they were wonderful teachers. Um, we also had the pleasure of, um, of two science advisors. Uh, the first one was Clive Oppenheimer, who's a celebrated volcanologist. Um, he actually appears in three Werner Herzog films. Um, and consulted quite early um, on in, in the whole process. Uh, it was actually one of the inspirations behind the, knowing the film in the first place. And a, another professor, Rebecca Williams, um, also kind of gave us some, some fantastic insight and helped us make sure that we were scientifically sound. Um, but for me personally, yeah, it absolutely got me even more curious about science. Um, I've always felt a deep connection with the natural world and I'm endlessly fascinated by how humans uh, make sense of, of this relationship. Um, and, um, but scientific languages wasn't something that came to me naturally, so to speak, but this, this project really kind of allowed a different avenue into that. Um, uh, it felt, you know, scientific, but also Maurice and Katya were, were quite poetic and philosophical. Um, and so I, I think um, that that's one of the things that I, I gravitated most to. And, and I feel like kind of, as someone who isn't as scientifically inclined, that that helps give me an entry point that I could connect with in perhaps a, a human way. You know, the uh, the documentary landscape is so broadened now. Um, you know, the, you know, you, the, the the idea of you know documentaries being broccoli movies that are you know important for us to watch <laughs> as opposed to a popcorn <laughs> movie that's entertaining. You know, and we and we've had debates in recent years with like my octopus teacher. You know, and, and mm. what was staged, what was not, and uh, you know Robert Greene's work where it's like you know it is staged and 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 kind of thing. Uh, and you've got you know uh, there's the, such a solid track record within you know documentary. I would love for you to talk about because again, this is yet another documentary that takes a real artistic approach where it could have been it could have been fucking academic, um, <laughs> but it's not. And so I would love for you to to talk about that. Yeah, it was again very much guided by Maurice and Katya themselves and trying to listen to to what they left behind. Um, as a way to, to, to really understand the story. They were so playful. They were so uh, full of life. And it was so important for them, for others to understand volcanoes. Um, that, that, that was something that 
we were really led by. Um, but since they did so in such a humorous way, it was important for us to do the same. Um, and I'm really inspired in the documentary landscape in general of the filmmakers who are doing that. I don't think they're dumbing anything down by not using academic languages. I feel like they're doing expansive and, and creative things to open people into conversations, which is really important. Um, so it doesn't feel like a more exclusive, um, uh, discriminatory or, um, you know, ivory tower type of, of field, which I think historically it's sometimes documentary has gotten a bad name for. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a hope that our film is kind of in that latter camp of, of trying to open up space for, for conversation and play with the form in a way that also doesn't feel too academic, but you still learn something about our world. Some of that footage is unbelievable. Did you all have that same feeling when you're watching it? Like, this isn't real, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I first want to definitely shout out my extraordinary editors, Aaron Casper and Jocelyn Shapu, who were just an absolute joy to work with. That's part of why also just to get it to, to back to your question about kitschiness and, and kind of the sense of play in the film, like they're just so fun. And we had such a fun time working on that. I, I really hope you can feel that kind of the joy that we had in the process in the film itself. Um, but yeah, we all were like, delighted and in awe and baffled by what we were looking at every day. Um, um, there were some things, for example, a, a shot that comes in um, about, a, uh, about a third of the way through the film where Katya is in her illuminized suit and gets super close to um, this crater in Iceland, um, it's a Krakla volcano. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's jaw dropping. Like I've seen it a billion times and every time I'm still like, my God, you look out, <laughs> there's lava splatting next to you. Like, I still can't believe she did that. And so unflappable, um, right in there with her thermometer, checking the temperature. <laughs> um, but other things too, were such surprises. For example, like one of my favorite moments is when Maurice goes in, into these caves in the Canary Islands. Um, and he's like literally in the belly of the earth. And there's this albino um, crab uh, that uh, kind of, you do just see for a second, but I love that, um, the way that their minds worked, uh, they would not just kind of photograph the, the volcanic landscapes, but then they would let the camera linger on this little crab. Um, it says so much to me about how they saw the world and ecological relationships. Um, and also kind of their their um, their eyes um, as, as filmic storytellers. So those were so fun to see and, and really delighted us to, to stumble across as we were looking through all the footage. Yeah, it is. It's so fun to watch them interact and and their love story. The three of them with the volcano is just it rings it rings through so vividly. Um, but another theme that I thought was really interesting and important was how they didn't really care to be around people. Uh, you know, you talk about they joined an anti-war protest uh, back in the late '60s. But I, I'm going to read you say um, human pursuits of power felt vain and absurd next to the power of the earth. Um, so I, I'd love for you to expand on that and discuss this theme and, and how, you know, 30 years after their death is still relevant. Hmm. Oh, um, I'm so glad you asked that question. That, that's one of my, um, the, the themes in the film that uh, I've been excited about and drawn to and also perplexed by the, the most. Um, but for, for Katya and Maurice, they were born, um, uh, Katya was born during World War II, and Maurice was born just after World War II, um, right on the French-German border. And they saw their uh, hometown, the world around them, ravaged by human violence, um, which did, once they started to learn about geology, uh, that felt um, 
it did in their words, it felt uh, vain and petty compared to kind of this awesome force of the planet. Um, uh, being amid volcanoes taught them about kind of just the precarity and smallness of, of human life. And it's like what, being so close to that um, feeling allowed them to think like, <laughs> there's such fragility here. Why, why would you ever lose it? Uh, why would you ever enter into these struggles? Um, and, um, but particularly to, to your, your question, Angela, um, and, and, uh, the late sixties, they were so disillusioned what, in terms of what was happening during the Vietnam war. Um, and, and, uh, growing up in France, the history of colonialism there was something that was deeply heartbreaking and, and disillusioning to them. Um, but they decided rather to kind of engage in uh, uh, kind of a politics of resistance against the Vietnam War. Um, their mode of uh, responding was to, to go kind of pursue wonderment and escape in the, in the natural world. Um, but as their story goes on, they couldn't escape for long because ultimately they are human and we are all bound up in, in this complex um, in, of you know, global capitalism and colonialism that absolutely structures our globe um, um, or relationships around the globe. Um, and so that was something that they really grappled with was um, trying to find a way to, to work with the human world, so to speak, in a way that could kind of, um, I don't want to necessarily say save humans, but act as like, like mediators between the natural world that, um, you know, volcanoes that were taking human lives, but also governments that were not, uh, uh, not listening to scientists who are saying, um, look, there's an eruption about to happen. Um, like, are you going to act? Are you going to put money into warning systems? Are you going to evacuate? And um, I'm specifically talking about the, the Columbia eruption in 1985. Um, and the government decided not to act because it's deemed too costly. Um, and so um, they realized how important it was to use kind of their training to become um, a kind of mediator, uh, to advocate for governments to, to listen um, in moments like that. So um, that allowed kind of for a moment of reflection of turning back towards the human world. And, and it's kind of one of my greatest hopes for the film that um, the audience comes away realizing there's actually not a division. There's no human world. There's no nature world. We're all one interconnected world. And it's actually, it's that... Um, manufactured and in my mind, violent split um, that has gone through the process of, of colonialism um, that that uh, makes this false separation and is responsible for so many things that I could go on and on and on about. <laughs> but I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> but I'll just say, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's a storyline and a theme that is uh, an important one to me in the film. Uh, before we go, um, we do have to. Um, uh, talk about Miranda July because we just have to, uh, you know. I mean, yeah, you know, she she's such a distinctive um, uh, uh, entity in independent film and uh, and art in general. Um, that 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 uh, I, I'm really interested in how it was working with her as a director because she seemed to just absorb projects that she's involved in and you know and and and, and immerse herself rather than just be like, you know, a paid for hire, uh, you, know, you know, kind of a person. Mm -hmm. Talk about her for a moment. Yeah, oh, that's so beautifully said. Um, Miranda's just incredible. Um, she's really been one of my favorite artists uh, since I first saw me and everyone we know. And, and I saw it in 2006. Um, she has a remarkable capacity to express like such strength 
and vulnerability, such curiosity, um, such a kind of like a poignant intimacy in, in all of her work. Um, but she, she does, she like absorb, she really, um, she, she, I feel like she was like channeling Maurice and Katya and volcanoes all at once, along with her own curiosity as our narrator. Um, she really inhabited that role um, in such a beautiful, rich way. Uh, I'm so, I'm profoundly grateful to work with her. Um, and for me as, as a, I, I make nonfiction work. I, I've never made a, a fiction film before. I've never worked with actors really. So my first experience like getting to work with Miranda was just absolutely breathtaking. And um, uh, it was stunning to, to watch her work and to, to see her kind of interpret the, the writing that, um, we had and she would add things too. It was just like, oh yeah, that's brilliant. Um, uh, to, to the writing itself, aside from of course, adding the, her performance. Um, uh, but yeah, I can't imagine a, a more perfect narrator um, who has, yeah, I feel like she's so beautifully elevated. Well, I, I you know, I, I mean, I, I think she is such the, the, the cherry on top to just a wonderful storytelling, um, you know, that you were able to pull off with this. It's really, really, really wonderful. Again, the film is Fire of Love. Uh, we've been talking uh, with the filmmaker, uh, Sarah Dosa, and man, I have to thank you. I have to think that Katya and Maurice would be thrilled to death um, with what you pulled off here. Oh, that is the highest compliment in my highest goal for, for this project. So thank you so much for saying that. And thanks, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. I'm yeah, really honored to be here. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.